Dr. Spiegel. Hello, Dr. Fitzgerald. How are you doing today? I'm pretty good. That's not true. I'm great. Oh, nice. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. What makes, I have a question. Yeah? What makes you so great? (laughs) That sounds snarkier than you meant (laughs) it, I think. Sherry the Great. Sherry the Great. My last name actually means the best. That's true. It does. Yeah. Doesn't it? What makes me so great? Semester's over. Felt like it was a pretty good semester. It was a pretty good semester, from my perspective. Yeah, mine too. We got some final report writing written. Did we ever? We did, what, three in the last two weeks? Yeah. I had one. You did one. I did one. We did one. We did one. How many pages total was all that? (sighs) 50? More than that. Probably, yeah, because... 80? 70 or 80? How long was yours? I don't even remember. That's what I was trying to think. It's like once that was out, it was out. Yeah. It was like I think my brain went a little vacant. I just know that in the last like 72 hours, I've written quite a bit. Yeah, I had a week between the one I did and the one we just submitted yesterday, but you had an impressive flurry of keystroke activity over the last couple of days. I did. To fuel your your process. Yeah. That was some fast typing you did. It it was. What's interesting is we sent out the other report yesterday. We talked yeah. about it. And I think we talked and I was like, yeah, I'm just going to, what do we say? Like, yeah, it was low key. It was get, like, yeah, I think I'll give some lunch and then I'll rep- kind of start working this other one a little bit. Yeah. Next thing I know, yeah, there's this 15 page document. That is- it looks like it's ready for publication. It was like, you did more than type a couple of things. I did. You let it rip. You let it rip. I did. And what's interesting is originally I was just going to, oh, I'll just bang out the, the global headings. Yeah, um, yeah. That's where we left it. But then the first part, it's just a report on the fellowship that I did. But in large part, it was just like me having an opportunity and like a captive imagined audience to talk about what I've learned related to NVC. Hmm. And so what's interesting about that report is it ended up being like, what, 16 pages? It could have been a lot longer. You were saying longer. that. How long do you think you could have gone with it? I think in some ways it's like a book. That's what's ridiculous is I started working through uh, the objectives for my courses and all the ways that NVC has and could just totally revolutionize the work I do there. NVC. Nonviolent communication. And it's just, it's so much bigger than what I knew the folks who needed to read that report had the the timescape interest all of that to read so i think what's exciting about that is it tells me that i've got it in me to keep writing about this yeah and presumably then like living it and Mm -hmm. uncovering Mm -hmm. more as it goes curious though because you know i was we were talking about this over lunch just a little bit ago which we're still recovering from we are (laughs) Mm, sushi. It was sushi day. <laughs> Raw fish was eaten. The eel is the best Oof. over there. Yeah. Anyway. I've written reports before that do not, that are not a flurry of typing. The last time I think that there was a real flurry of typing that I felt like the writing of it was a joyous celebration and not just a, an obnoxious chore to do was, I guess, the finishing touches on my dissertation before I turned it in, mm. which... I'm starting to revise what I said earlier. That was a chore to do, but it was a chore that will happen. And so I don't have to think about it. I just have to do it, pound it out, and just get it done. So the joy of the end product was the driver of that. Joy, yeah, sure. Definitely interest in the topic. But FYI, for those out there that haven't gone through the thesis or dissertation process, and if you have, this might resonate. At the end, you just want it to be done. Absolutely. I hate this project so much that I'm just going to... (laughs) I'm just going to put this thing out of its out of its misery and move on from here. Oh, so I just it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be perfect. You just need three people to sign it and turn it in. Just do it, and that fueled that flurry of typing. So I don't know how joyous that actually was in in retrospect. But this week, the ones that we were doing this week, or the one was was joyous because it yeah. was like we both love this stuff. We well, were hitting pretty hard because it's if if you, if you live the work of your life that you really love to do and that you really value. It's going to be a joy to talk about. Yeah. I think. Even that one we wrote, I mean, we researched and we thought about this for months and months, but yeah. we wrote that in about 48 hours. Yeah. And yeah. this reminds me of what I talk to my composition students all about all the time. They'll talk to me about how they haven't gotten started on their projects, 
But I always tell them, if you've been thinking about it, then you're working on it. So I think we, it started taking shape in our heads long before our fingers hit the keyboard. Oh, yeah, totally. And so by the time the keyboard came into play, that came out like really comfortably. It was, we wouldn't write the report manifested. It did. (laughs) It did. (laughs) Is that Um, a way to say it? Yeah. Manifested from the ether. Finished form. Yeah. I mean like. Close to it anyway. Yeah, the edits were were technical, not Yeah, I, I needed the dough a little bit on, on some of those sections that I wrote a little. Just, oh, I'm going to give this another read for continuity. But that's yeah. what it was, is like reading for continuity. Right. Trying to put myself in the position of the reader. It's like, how quickly is this a hard right turn from what we were talking about before? And how do you put a seatbelt on before you do it? Yeah, it it is interesting. I read it, actually, so I use the Speechify app often. And so I discovered that you can use it with Google Docs as this well. Is... I've actually switched it to, I'm now using like this male narrator voice ah. and it sounds like it's got a David Attenborough vibe for Ooh, me. nice. And so I'm pretty happy with it. But anyway, so on my way to the eye doctor the other morning, I had him read our report and we sounded great in that voice. You know, I haven't even tried that. Yeah, I wonder what yeah. that would be like. Yeah, it's great. I might try that myself. Because... Um, Every now and then I have a real resistance to reading. And so I just cue that up. But one of the things I was really listening for were like changes in voice. Like I wanted to make sure that it sounded like a cohesive voice. Yeah, two people were writing this. Right. So does it, can you tell who's who? We can, I think. And I know things about your sentence structure. That... The sentences are really long. That's <laughs> yeah. Paul reading. If there it. are 17 uses of the word and. And um, moreover, therefore, yeah. thusly, yet. But I mean, However, overall, it reads co- like a co- cohesive document. And yeah. I think I think that's a product of the fact that we came to it with a fair amount of confidence. We knew what we wanted to say. And I think it reflects work that we love doing, which is amazing. Did you find when you were listening, did you listen to the whole thing? Mm-hmm. Were there any surprises in there that you heard when you listened to it versus that you knew were in there from writing and reading it? Mm-hmm. Like any new, did, did you hear anything in a different way? I think listening to it helped me come to it with a little more objective distance. And so I think I was able to hear it as a final product and think about it as if this landed on my desk, what would I think of it? And it sounds, and of course it does, but it sounded scholarly. It sounded well-researched. It sounded thorough. And so it's not that was a surprise. We're not the worst at what we do. But how quickly it came together and how proud I was of it Mm. was a little surprising to me. Why are we so proud of it? Why was I? I think it's just, it's a really nice summary of what we've been working towards. And I think it allowed us space to showcase a lot of good work that is done by other people around here. Mm. So that's what I liked. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But also it's just, it's it's you and me on paper. It's great. Yeah, I'm not saying that I'm not proud of it either. Yeah. I totally am. I think this is the hard part. It's like when, so we worked for, we had data in there from the whole academic year. We had data in there going back to August, September, October, stuff we were doing back then. It's nine months of labor. Yeah, it's nine months of labor. And when you're doing the work, or at least I should speak for myself, when I'm doing the actual labor of it, you still don't really know what it's going to look like mm-hmm. when it's done. Is What is the end? Because the end product of this was always going to be a report that we submit. It's like there was, we, we, there was never this risk of, how do we know when it's done? It's done when we submit the thing is when it's done and our, our obligation is satisfied. But when you're actually doing the work, you never really know what form that's going to take. And is yeah. it going to be, because this is always the risk, like what if I do all this work and then it's at the end of it, there's actually nothing to say. Yeah. And I, I thought the risk of that was low. So that certainly isn't something. That, <laughs> when have we ever not yeah, had something to say? Yeah, we have not had something to say. We literally have a podcast because like, we can take anything and have a conversation about it. Oh, wow. Look at that piece of paper over there. That's amazing. What hmm. do you think about that? Oh, what wow, do you think about pickles? Such a, yeah. So that's points. never a problem. But with with the context uh, of genre, though, is mm-hmm. like we're submitting an, an actual report for a you know, work we did to an academic institution that's going to mm-hmm. use it presumably or possibly or hopefully or potentially as a a guide for an initiative, there's a lot of nuance in there. So there's, you want to 
sound like you're not an idiot. I guess we could start there. Yep, that'd be good. <laughs> As we say, do I sound like an idiot? And am I completely illiterate? You know, that's like, <laughs> we can dispel that pretty quickly. It's good to it's good to get confirmed, have confirmation of that fact though every once in a while. I think am I not an idiot? Paul is reflecting the literal instructions I gave. Yeah, him when he read, this morning. Like, yeah. When he read my report this do morning. Do I sound stupid? And am I illiterate? Not yet. We'll see. But who's reading it? It's not necessarily people with. I don't even know how to. It's, well, it's not me and you, yeah, right? It's not people that did the work. It's not people that already know the answer because if they already had the answer and already knew that stuff, then they wouldn't mm-hmm. need the they wouldn't need the work, yeah, and the report that follows. It was relieving and pleasing and joyous to me to see it actually all, all that works reify in a thing that mm-hmm. looks like it was supposed to be because we didn't scribble some crayons on a back of a piece of printer paper and. Well, I remember Crinkle it up we... and shove it under somebody's door. <laughs> this actually looks like an actual thing that does actually contain real data and real yeah. information. And even though with the, the part of the, of the report that discusses the need for such a thing that we were proposing, and maybe someday you might hear about this, listeners, the picture painted was a little bleak at times. When Whenever a new initiative is starting to take shape, it's never from the places. Everything is absolutely great. So... How can we, how do we fix, how, can we, how do we fix it? So right. these things are always approached with the initiative that maybe something's not quite working. So how do we fix it? What do we need to do to address this? So of course, the introductory part's going to be, what's the problem we're actually trying to solve here? And it was strangely not difficult to do that, that that part of it. But yeah. we ended up using quite a lot of interesting data to to really capture the need for what we proposed and the uh, what some of the solutions might look like. So it was joyous to do. It That's was. why it was fun because yes. like I actually, you know, I just talked my mo- talked through of like why did I think that was why am I so proud of that? It's, it looks like it's supposed to look when the things like that is, is done. Yeah, all the parts were there. Everything was well reasoned. It was well written. Had good data. Had great conclusions and recommendations. I think it yeah. it, it really came together. One of the things that I think is really funny about this whole discussion and reflection is that. Before we started writing it, I remember you were like, oh, do you think you can throw me some busy work to do to help? Like the idea was that you still haven't really settled into identifying as a writer. So it's like in your head, you pictured me sitting down at the keyboard writing while you do precious little, I don't know, like you're polishing the china over there. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) that's true. Yeah, I did have that. Yeah. That concern, I guess I would say. But in the end, I think we both wrote about 50-50. I think we did. Yeah. I really think we did. And it's, I don't know. I don't know how to write these things. I'm not very... I, and, but, but then, because I was reasoning through yesterday when we were chatting on the phone, I, I know how to write. Yeah. I'm not illiterate. No. You know, it's like I've done this being like I've written things for an academic audience before. It's called yeah. a, a dissertation. I have publications under my name that I wrote. So it's, I don't know about like nouns and verbs and punctuation and adjectives and all that other stuff that I want to say you people talk about when writing is the subject of conversation. I just don't have a lot of experience writing like final reports Yeah. that I have been a participant in the, the work of. Yeah. But then as I say it, I say, but that's not true either for these nine reasons because it's like this is, it's like any other research paper. Yeah. Right? You have a question, you you know, you investigate the background, you do some, collect some data, you interpret your, analyze and interpret results, write about it. What do we do next? It's like, okay. It, it really came out feeling like much more of a science paper that I'm accustomed to than anything else. Yeah. But then it was like, is that what this is? I'm just wondering if that was the right way to be going, even though it was like, it's what I know how to do. So I'm just going to do it that way. But when it comes out in the end, is this right? So it was like, it was like I don't know how to do this. So I'm just going to polish the china. There's a lot of china around here, but there might be a little... <laughs> Not too much shine on community college campuses. The it, it's just that I don't have a lot of experience doing in the context. Yeah. So it's, it's we weren't talking about fossils. We weren't talking about biology. It was like what do we it's like? How do you feel? Kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's what are, what are your needs? What do you feel? What do you think about how this is working out? It's the kind of data that I'm that I'm not accustomed to. Right. So I found that being I was using more examples of this person said this. This is some of the feedback we got from some of the workshops. This is what's working well. This maybe could use a little TLC. It was the like that data, that kind of data, it's kind of more qualitative stuff, isn't something I'm too accustomed to. Mm-hmm. So it's, I didn't 
just feel I, I just feel like I didn't have a lot of experience doing that kind of thing. And so what I thought was I can't do this, or I'm going to go polish the china. You write this thing uh, <laughs> was just a reflection of I say just it's a trivial thing. It's not of I think it's like I just haven't read I haven't read a lot of them. Yeah, you know I I mean. Which, of course, is also not true because it's like I read science papers all the time and what's the damn difference? I think this is where I think like you think of it as like a science paper and I just think of it as an academic paper. But that's partially because what I do for a living is teach genre. Like, yeah. I, and so at the end of the day, I approach genre as a social action. And so like when you think about science papers, you understand the social action that the science paper fulfills. And since we're still talking about academics, they're just academics who sit in different kinds of offices. It's still fulfilling the same social action, ultimately. Yeah, so we tailor and we use different kinds of data because it wouldn't work too well if we randomly talked about fossils in the middle of this thing. Yeah, but just a lot of my data, my research background is more in interview and different textual analysis and that kind of stuff. So that data set is more comfortable to me. Well, you know why? Yeah, no, we didn't bring that in, partially because I could not find one to interview. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so ultimately, what this whole report is very much related to what we're talking about in this episode. (laughs) Well, but we're about to, because so we're still moving through. The Mindfulness at Work book by Maria Arpa. And so this week we're on chapter three, which is the honest audit. And ultimately that's what that report was. Because as she frames it, it's all about looking and figuring out what is actually happening in your work and in your workplace. And there's this combination of how do you interpret things? How do you perceive things? And what I love about all of that in terms of how she frames this is she really emphasizes the concept of the lens Mm -hmm. in how she gets us going with this. Do you know why I love the lens so much? So almost every time I write, I did. That's actually true. Yes, I did go to the eye doctor. That's No, it could be. So almost every time I write, with the exception of basically most of the time when I write with you, which means with less frequency. Yeah. A lot of times when I write academic pieces for writing studies audiences, I almost always make reference to Kenneth Burke in some form. And one of my favorite concepts, which I always introduce my students through, too, is the idea of Kenneth Burke's terministic screen, which is basically that the terms we use, the words we use, shape how we see the world. And that's ultimately what she's talking about in the beginning here, is that the lens that we see the world through ultimately shapes what we see. So she's talking about this in terms of like positive and negative. If you're always talking trash about your job, you're going to always see the negative things in your job. But even like with my work with students, when I used to spend a lot of time talking about early in my teaching career, people would talk about needing to mark papers. The idea of having to mark or correct papers sounds like a murder to me. It does. I Um, could not think of much that would sound like less fun. Yeah. Yeah. Mark my papers. Marking papers. Yeah. So when I started shifting that away from um, giving feedback on student writing, talking to some folks about their writing, that sounds great. Grading, marking, correcting, those sound terrible to me. So the words we use shape how we see the, the world, right? It does. And I think my experience with that conversation about how the words we use shape the world um, Terrence McKenna used to talk about this a lot. And he would go so far as to say that the world literally is made out of language. Mm. And it's, if, if you think that language is something that is part of the experience that we have, in the, it's like the entirety existence that before underneath everything else in human society and the human experience, language is at the core of it, which is why it's so important to understand people or a culture to learn the language. It's like the two, it's learn the language, eat the food. Because, yeah, the signs and symbols of what a, what a culture is and what a society represents. And I, I think what is something that's, that, that is talked about in this chapter 
this idea, as you said, of the narration. It's if you like it or not, everything does get turned into a story. Mm-hmm. The good stuff, the bad stuff. And in the absence of of verifiable or, or observational truth or data or whatever it is, a story is going to emerge one way or the other. And it's not that, well, I have this stuff and I don't really know what's going on, so I'm going to make up a story. It's you don't even have to do that. Your brain is going to make it up for you anyway. Mm-hmm. And it's going to tell you all the ways in which you're being shafted by the company or being treated unfairly or the the best thing out there since sliced bread. Your right. brain's going to make up any sort of story and tell it to you. The, it will fill in the gaps. Your brain will uh, need the dough until all the pegs fit in the appropriately shaped hole mm-hmm. that is shaped by the experiences of your life. And so once once you see that story sort of start to form on what's really going on here and what's happening here, using the language as the building blocks and words as the building blocks for what that sort of is, the words become super, super important. Is the institution ignoring me or are they unresponsive? Mm-hmm. Or are they just busy doing something else right now? So right. it's all three take the physical appearance of this exact same thing. I didn't get an email about that thing. Are they unresponsive? Are they ignoring me? Do they disrespect me because something I said five years ago? Right. Or what happens 90% of the time, the person's on vacation. So <laughs> they didn't actually check it. They didn't even read it yet because they're out. But it's my brain can has this glorious ability, but I blame this on a meditation practice, to consider <laughs> all of these possibilities and not attach to any of them. So who knows? Because ultimately you settle on, well, who knows what's really going on? You know what? I'm not going to do anything about it. I'll give it a couple of days. Or a week, and if nothing happens, it'll maybe send a follow-up and, yeah, hey, just want to get follow-up on that. Did you get it? Is it good? And I'm, I'm not, none of this is talking about our institution in any way specifically. That well, must be said. But it's like that, what do, you, what do you see when you look around, knowing that a story is going to emerge out of it for better and oftentimes for worse? But also understanding that's just stories are our, like are this tool that we use. They amuse us. They they help us find, build connection and consistency yeah, right. when it isn't really there. That's what we do with yeah. story. So I had a similar situation. I had sent an email to uh, a friend of mine that I hadn't talked to in a little while about a week ago, and I didn't immediately hear back from him. And so I had all these thoughts in my head like, oh, maybe he's having a really hard time. Maybe maybe like this random thing that I said a while ago, all these different theories. And so then I thought, maybe I should follow up and ask if he got the email. And I ended up not doing that. And he responded and we got to catch up the other day. And at no point, like, did I ever find out why did it take him a while to reply? (laughs) And you know what? It doesn't matter. Yeah, it just doesn't matter. No, <laughs> it, doesn't it doesn't matter. Any of those possibilities could be true, but it's not really mine to know. Like it doesn't, right. my life doesn't change whether or not I know. And that's an interesting freedom. It is. Yeah. It is. How much of your life is contingent on other people doing what they're supposed to? Right. And you're like, and what, what they're supposed to is of course... A complete fabrication of your own Based imagination as own well. Preference. So it's people are there aren't like supposed to do things, but it's like, yeah, I would have thought I would have received a response about this by now, but it's, and I could be completely wrong in that assumption as well. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It, it's so weird. It's so curious though. It's like, because the brain doesn't, it, it doesn't show up as a, always as like this, hmm. I didn't receive that email yet. Even the description of the slightedness that you're experiencing because of it shows up first as this like emotional, physical, what's good? Yeah, what's going on I would have expected with a furrowed brow and all that, you know, it's like so much expectation is built into every single thing we do when they're not met. We go and we get the pen and paper out and start writing a novel. Right. Yeah, like even even Gmail got in on this. So I hadn't heard from him in, in a couple of days. So Gmail has that automatic yeah, feature, yeah. right? That's, it's been five days. Would you like yeah. to follow up? And I'm like, no, Gmail. Let's settle down a little bit here. Not everybody like, works in Silicon Valley around here. I Some of us have a more take a leisurely pace. Yeah. Goodness. But all of this is like staying married to a particular kind of outcome and then wasting. It really does feel like wasting, but... I'll say spending like this mental energy on something that just doesn't go anywhere. Right. Like it's just not yeah. where I want to spend my time necessarily. But I do think it's interesting 
how much choice we have in where we spend our time thinking and what we choose to focus on. And, And that's in this chapter. She has a section as part of this audit on accentuating the positive. Mm -hmm. And what I love about this is I think part of what she understands and encourages folks to understand is that within their job, within their workplace, probably within a lot of different areas of our lives, there are positives and there are less positive. Less positive. Right? (laughs) But what I like is that this isn't a list of what makes your job good. It's just what are the things that are life-giving for you in your position? And then once she has you identify them, she focuses on having you then identify what's the need in you that's meeting. And so it's not just, oh, I have a good job because I don't have to go to campus on Friday. Like, it's you're not done after that. It's, well, what's the value? What's the need in you that's met? We're often here on Fridays. But if that were the thing I was saying, maybe the real need is a need for flexibility. Maybe it's a need for autonomy. And those are important to me. Yeah. And it can go even a lot more you know, unconscious than that, though. It's, it's a warmer day today. It's a little bit humid. Pollen is in the air. And it's supposed to be, we'll do it, 80-something degrees today this weekend. I think this on Saturday, it's supposed to be like 95 degrees. Oof, Oof goodness me. What's it in here? I'm looking at the 71, 72? Yeah, not bad. Uh, we're actually, there's really fairly nice carpeted, nice lights in the ceiling, pretty well equipped, uh, air-conditioned Mm-hmm. ventilated space with windows. And so it's my environment is actually pretty, pretty okay here. It's what need is being met here. It's consideration. This place where we are occupying this space in is considering my physiological and biological comfort mm-hmm. yeah. throughout the year. It's the heat's on in the wintertime, the AC's on in the summertime. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a cafeteria on campus. Consideration for my dietary needs to an extent that <laughs> they will do interpret those to the extent that they can come keep up with the changes that I make in them. So <laughs> when you think about what's, if I turn my magnifying glass, if I put my lens on my workplace, what needs are met? And it's the flexibility. Yeah, work, that's a, a thing that's really been highlighted over the last two years, mm-hmm. uh, especially, but it's my physical comfort. They have mm-hmm. the air on. The Wi-Fi still works. Yeah. Uh, most, mostly. I, there are some needs that I have that are definitely being met that I don't even think about. That, that you, It's just easy to ignore. And it's, it's not that you intentionally ignore them. You don't even pay attention to them. Yeah. A lot of times. I don't pay attention to them a lot of the time. We could grab the grok cards and go through the needs, flip down and see which ones are currently being satisfied by uh, my workplace mm-hmm. that I don't even think about. Yeah. And I do think, especially just knowing how the needs inventory tends to shake out, there are a lot that that you're right. I don't even think about as much, but especially some that relate to the idea of connection. I think right now in my positionality at my job, I'm incredibly lucky, I think, that I work at the same institution as a lot of my best friends, yeah. like my closest people. And so like a lot of my needs to be seen, to be heard, are really fulfilled at my job. That doesn't mean that my job fulfills them. Or that they're expected to? Correct. Yeah. So I think one of the things that's interesting is when I first read this book, the positives that I have at my workplace would have been different. And I might have come up a little shorter in terms of the things I like about my workplace Mm. because I don't think at the time I placed as much agency on myself for getting my needs met at work. So that's an interesting thing that I think I'm Mm. bringing to this reading of this. It's like it's up to you to address or to see to these needs being met if you're looking to meet them at your workplace. Yeah. You sort of got to meet them halfway a little bit. Is I that think what you're, so. Yeah. yeah. Or like sometimes it means getting out of tradi- like the routine that I was in. I remember mm-hmm. for a mm-hmm. while I was an administrator. And so my relationship to other folks in the department had a particular sort of color to it. Totally. And totally. then when I left that position, I felt really, I found myself feeling isolated and lonely within the college because a lot of the relationships I'd built were built around leadership and with other people in leadership positions. You're making a face. Yeah, I have I have a question. Okay. Is higher ed 
the only place where it's you get promoted for a year, but then you go back down to being, it's like, hey, we need a manager. You, be a manager for, <laughs> for a year. And it's like, okay. And it's like, all right, I'm the manager now. And the year's up. It's like, all right, back to the cash register. It's, what is higher? It's, I'm trying to think is, it, how, it is, how did I go 51 years without actually thinking about this before? And you don't, if, if you're working at the grocery store and you get bumped up to a manager, that's not a temporary thing. You get, you don't get, it's like, you didn't, you don't do your time in admin and then go back is. to the cash register. What a weird it is. way to, what a strange business model. It is. It, it, like Clearly the assumption not a business, right? is that leadership isn't sustainable in a way. Yeah. It's yeah. very curious. Well, the other assumption is that anybody can do this job and yeah. we're all going to take a turn doing this thing that nobody wants to do. Right. Talk about a way to talk about a sales for, for advancement. Absolutely. But anyway, so my point with that, that thought though, struck me. It's like, what? But so I found myself, I'm literally thinking about where my office was. And I, I just felt really isolated. I felt I shifted into a high teaching load again. And I felt unmoored by that. I felt unsupported. Like I could go on and on with the things that I felt. And since then, my position hasn't really changed my institution hasn't really changed. My department hasn't really changed. Mm-hmm. The only thing that's changed is me and how I right. choose to navigate, how I choose to see the job, and how I really think my ability to articulate and understand my needs and then to check in about how I can actually meet them. Yeah. You know, it's I have a lot of connections on campus. I also ha- got outside of... The silo I was in, and that helped quite a bit. When in doubt, go befriend a biologist. I came over to your silo, though, because my office is, like, all the way over there. Yeah, but we met outside our silos. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, so it's tempting, I would say. I almost said it easy, but it's not like it's easy to do. It's tempting when you're looking around at the institution to just see the bad. It's like you could walk down the hallway, and it'd be easy for anyone to point out 45 things they can find wrong by making the making the walk around one building. Walk around the building and now find the same number of things that you think are awesome, that are going well. Yeah. What do you mean? It's, the water fountain works. The roof doesn't leak. The lights turn on. The lights when you turn walk on by. when you walk. But yeah, and so it's, there's all kinds of things that are working super well, but they don't get the they don't get the attention. And this is not this recommendation. It's okay for everything you see that you don't like. Make sure you pay attention to something you do. I think it doesn't have to be that sort of tit for tat, so to speak, right. balanced kind of way. But there is, as Marie Arpa says in the chapter, there's room for putting a magnifying glass on the positive and putting a magnifying glass on the negative. Yeah, and moreover. When you put it on the negative and you point out the things that are not working well that you don't, let it rip. It's, I don't like Bob over in accounting. It's because he's an asshole. So it's, she like fully gives permission to just like shamefully let, just let it shamefully rip. Nobody's going to read this thing. You can talk about people all you want. You know? Well, because like. <laughs> but it, the, the important thing is, right, it, it's informative because it ultimately has to come back to you. Yeah, because the goal isn't to Xerox your list and put it in everybody's mailbox right. at the end of the day. The preferences you have about people and the struggles you have, they're there whether you take time to name them or not. But once you do take time to name them, then you can figure out what's the real need behind that. When she's talking about extracting the negative, one of the things, one of her examples is our personal hell, too much paperwork. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she identifies the needs that are not met by that are effectiveness and simplicity. And I've been trying to figure out like, is that what I don't like about paperwork? Uh, it's not. What is it? That I, I I can say what I don't like about paperwork. Okay, we'll see if it's true for me. I find that and when, when, I, when I think about paperwork, I'm talking about, and it's hard for me to not say the word stupid like 15 times in here, having to <laughs> fill out some stupid form for some bean counter. What do they know about me and my life and all this other kind of what I need to convince this person that, that it's you a good idea. No and it's empathy like, to our, our accounting friends. I was, but it's, that's what I'm feeling when I'm filling out this form. Cause it's like, I'm not feeling like I'm doing somebody a favor by making their life easier or, or adding a meaningful way into my li- into their life or boy, they're going to be so appreciative that I filled out this form. I'm really a team player here. Isn't that great? But it's the way that I get through that is Paul just felt the damn form. If you mm-hmm. want to do this, there's a form. Fill out the form, but it's it's a reminder that other people are the 
stars of their own shows as well. And it's not just me that is the center of the universe, but it's like spectacularly arrogant to even go down this line of thought. But it's, I have to do, I I have to fill out this form because I have to make a case that what I'm doing is, is a good idea. And they, and and like a piece of paper is going to do that. And it's like, why? It is like this reminder that it's like, why can't I just do everything? It's very childish. It's like, why can't I just do whatever I want? Why don't they just give me a corporate credit card? Why can't I just do it? I thought they trusted me. This is, it can turn to this, they don't trust me to make good decisions. This is big bureaucratic place where these bean counters have to say this stuff to other people who don't care. And um, I clearly work for somebody else because I would never make myself do a form like this. So I guess I'm just an employee here and they don't need me. They could use anybody because we're all reduced to having to fill out this goddamn form so I can get a pencil. <laughs> you know? so, so I don't but, know, but it's like it gets all this mushed up for me. And it is not about, for me, effectiveness and simplicity. I don't think paperwork is inefficient. I think it's stupid for yeah. a variety of nine million other reasons that all about I reject hierarchy. So and having ma- and somebody else, I don't like when somebody else tells me what to do. Yeah. So the main thing that I hear in that is your need for freedom and autonomy. Totally. Yeah. It's like, form, you're kidding. Yeah. I'm intentionally not going to do the form until the last second. I... And rely on forgiveness and grace, which does not endear you to anyone when you do that, just so you know, as no. I've experienced many times. Yeah. So the thing with me with paperwork, it, I think I'm... I think I don't make sense on this subject because when I think about paperwork... What I tell, the story I tell myself is that I don't like linear thinking and I don't like to be boxed in. And that's what forms are. They are literally tiny little boxes you have to put yourself in. Yeah, totally. So that's what I say. But at the same time, I love spreadsheets. And so it can't just be the little boxes. Yeah. But I think the difference is that little boxes in an Excel spreadsheet, like I can manipulate to serve me and paperwork, like forms already created for me. Maybe it, we really might just be the same person. I don't like them telling me it's the limits, the, the lack of, of, Oh, you're going to tell me how big my numbers can be and how much I can say on a particular topic. And one of the things that really drives me crazy is when it is really, it's a usability issue. When it is clear to me that the creator of the form has never themselves had to fill out the form. Yep. Like, I find myself to be irate. There is a form that all faculty at our institution have to fill out and there's a formatting typo on it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Every year we have to fill out that form, and, it's, and it's, in some places it's like different fonts. It's, mm. But it's, there's a, a, literally a typo on this thing, and it's, it would take somebody five minutes in Adobe to fix this form. <laughs> well, and, this is and for five years, yeah, they have not. So it's just like the stupid TPS reports, yeah. cover sheet in Office Space. It's, and I think part of, but built within that is like. I really care about document design and I have a strong need for consistency and order. And so there have been times where I have recreated forms within institutions because I have literally refused to use the tool that's been provided. Like I would rather create my own than to do the thing. One of the things you could declare on the form is that you corrected the form. And you <laughs> in yeah. your own. I did that. I was applying for an editing job at one point, and it, the company was like super, super cool. In some ways, I still think, oh, what would it have been like right. if I had right. gotten that that job with this very cool company? But as part of their application, they were like, we're looking for someone who's like a has a strong eye for detail and is a total like maven for consistency and all of this and prove to us that you are. And I was like, not to be that person, but then I, and then I pointed out all the uh, inconsistencies with their application. Yeah. Yeah. There's a typo on this question and this is a... Attention to detail, man. Mm -hmm. Attention to detail. Mm -hmm. And it's with some of the work that we've been doing this year, there is this relationship between that and one some of the things that might be uh, a negative about the workplace. Mm-hmm. It's like through what, just to stick with the subject of, so there's a typo on the form. Yeah. Or the, it's, it's not a typo that's on the form. It's a formatting inconsistency that's on the form, yes. I think, 
or a combination of the both. And what do you mean, click the box? I can't. Yeah, click you can't the box. click the box. It's does your does your workplace offer opportunities to bring that up? And what I what I think the most frustrating thing for me when there are like. But I can't click the box because you didn't make it a clickable box. So we have to print the thing. Then I have to get a pen and check it and, and submit it. If I can do the rest of it on Adobe, why can't I just click the box on it? You can do that. It's, if they can't do this, that undermines their credibility for literally everything else they do. If they literally don't care enough to make this form work well, it's clear that they don't care about all kinds of stuff. And that's a like a personal peeve of mine. So mm-hmm. when I would advise like student clubs, it's like you have a typo on the back of the on the bottom of the third page of the little brochure that you're going to hand out to maybe 30 people who go to this thing. Yeah. It's, oh yeah, but nobody will notice it. It's, we are going to fix this and we are going to do a reprint. Mm-hmm. Because I promise you that when most of the people who get this are going to walk away thinking, oh, isn't that cute? There's a typo on your form. So I think that's in my existence. But that's, yeah. Well. So <laughs> That might be particular to me as well. So. If you don't care enough to fix your typos, what do you want me to do? But you I know? think, I think within that is like a need that you're articulating. Like you're looking for, a, you're working for, looking for a context wherein people show they care. Yeah, like a need for legit need to be seen with legitimacy, or competence or it's not authority, it's not that. It's this, just like with you this morning. Am I illiterate? Can you read this? And <laughs> yeah, cuz I'd rather well, because because you'd rather not have typos in the thing that we submit to the people that gave us money. Right, you know? and how am I supposed to know? I'm just an English teacher. Right. <laughs> Yeah, but when you write it, you're too close to be able to do it a lot of times, so you need to have somebody read the thing. I'm also not a grammarian. Yeah. I'm a rhetorician. Yeah, there's, of course, there. it's an easy job. It's not impressive to walk around and find things that are wrong with something. It's just not. So it's. I like that she starts with, let's look at some positive, and then we can go on to the negative. And when she gets to the negative, it's not about just railing on Bob at work or whatever. One of the things that I love is she says... Now let's find whether you have a pattern or an unresolved issue. Because at the end of the day, it's not about the typo on page three. No, 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 no. At the end of the day, like, it's about what is it that's going on in you? And so what's the thing in you that you need to listen to so that you can find a position or a context that is going to work for you. Because I had a job before this where I considered staying with it and moving further into it. And it's a perfectly great job that I think is fulfilling for a lot of people. But it was data entry combined with a little AutoCAD work. And, you know, and it was working for the Virginia Department of Transportation. And so the data that I was putting in were, was related to tests that VDOT did on the asphalt like throughout the region to test whether or not the the asphalt on our roads was going to stand up to causes and conditions it would face. Useful. The other thing I would do would put markers on maps to show where certain things were, namely where those tests were conducted. Makes sense. So we need to know this is important information. I found that work to be utterly meaningless. Because on a day-to-day basis, like, I could not see the impact Mm -hmm. of what I did. And I'm not one of those people that, like, I'm a community college teacher because I want to change lives. It's not that. I just want to be connected to humans. And that work did not connect me to other humans. So knowing that about myself, if I had kept going after a certain kind of job, I would never find satisfaction. Yeah. And so whatever work I do, whether I'm in the classroom, whether I'm doing administration, I need to be connected to humans and like faculty development work in particular is like my wheelhouse. If I'm doing those two things, awesome. When I'm not doing those things, I find issues. Yeah, there are issues. And there's an issue between being able to pay the rent and buy food and issue of what I don't someone bought this is not quite working out so it's here's a thought experiment for anyone out there who's like quit a job Mm -hmm. for one reason or another like what what makes people quit and I did I don't still work in the same 
place that I, I don't work where my first job was, although nope. it was an awesome job. Would you work at the, at the zoo? That was my first job. Mm-hmm. And it was great. And I no longer work there. <laughs> work there. My sister does. I don't uh, work at my second job. I don't work at my third job. I don't work at my fourth job. I've had a lot of jobs, but I've had a few. And it's like, with the first one, it's the only thing there was an expectation that I was going to spend the rest of my life there. It's, yeah, it's a job. It's a summer job. It's an awesome one. It's better than most. And then I'm going to go to college and then I'll work in the summers and then I'll see where it goes from there. Yeah. Which it did. And then I was a produce clerk in a grocery store and then I... Worked at the health department in St. Louis County doing the mosquito survey. And then I worked hmm. at, what was after that? And I worked as a statistician in the St. Louis Public Schools. Yeah. And I quit every one of those jobs. Mm-hmm. Quit every one of them. Because it was like, okay, and there's this next thing we're going to do, and that's what it's going to be. I did not quit my job at the zoo to be a produce clerk at the grocery store. That was more of a temporary thing. <laughs> but I took the job for other reasons that I would take the one that I have now. I didn't do the produce clerk, which is a lovely job, and I actually was quite a lot of fun mm-hmm. because I felt the, like this deep need to provide produce to the masses or anything like that. It was, oh, it's a job kind of thing. Yeah. But it was cool. A lot of fruit. I yeah. ate a lot of fruit. Uh, <laughs> it was a long time ago as well. But other jobs, career jobs with Benny's, I mean, I could have yeah. I could have stayed at some of these places, but I didn't because it was like there's something about it that's, you know what, do you I'm, know, I'm moving on. I don't think I've ever told you this. Do you know what one of my favorite jobs that I've ever had was? What? 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 So I used to work for Bed Bath & Beyond. Did I know that? I don't know if you knew that. I don't. I haven't talked about I don't it. I don't know if I knew that, yeah. So I used to work for Bed Bath & Beyond. And did I you worked, mail out the blue coupons that I did not. you'd get every other week? I did not. We had a lot. Of- but I worked on uh, Soft Side. So in Bed Bath & Beyond, there's Soft Side. I don't know what that is. Side. Okay. So uh, Soft Side listener. is like where the lint linens and the soft things are and then hard side is like the the pots and pans and all the hard things and you were in the soft side okay so i worked in soft side so the primary thing that i'm gonna say got to do was that i usually closed and so basically i would spend all my time in the towel section Mm. folding and ordering the towels yeah, it was just, that's all I did. <laughs> You're like laughing at me. All I did was order things. Yeah, like, you would I, dig that though. Oh yeah, it was You would great. totally dig that. It was great. You would totally did that. Yeah. Did the hard side people and the soft side people ever cross paths or? It sounds like they were pretty It, it does feel separate. like West Side Story, doesn't it? Yeah. There was a wall in the middle of the store, isn't there? You just, it, it, yeah, you kind of go yeah, around. Yeah, you kind of go around a yeah. built that way. And so towards the back of the store, around where the, the back of the store was, you would cross. The beyond section. Yeah. Back in the beyond. In, yeah, it's indeed. not the bed or the bath side. It's the beyond yeah, side. Yeah, there was a section where like you would walk through and you would suddenly know, I'm not in soft side no, anymore. Yeah. Like it would start with usually the candles. Like that's yeah. kind of the dividing point. And then you get to like toilet paper stands and yep. toothbrush that's holders. Hard side. Yeah, <laughs> and then you talk about the pots and pans. That's the last thing that you would come to as you. Yep. Or the first thing, depending on which side you... Because the towels, the, the towels and the soft things are always the last part of the store that I find myself in. Yeah. So I think I always walk in the door and head to the right. I think you are you might be a soft side kind of fella. Well... Or sorry, hard side Hard kind side of kind of, of... Yeah, we need all, all in our lives. Yes. We all have a hard yeah, side. Yeah, what are you going to do without a towel? I mean, <laughs> what are you do without a towel? Yeah, it's interesting. So I was perfectly content in a lot of ways with that job. Because it met my need for order. But the one place where that job caused me troubles was with the ladder. Yeah, I think I did. you did tell me about this. Mm-hmm. Not a fan of the ladder. Mm-mm. Right. Nope. You know, I don't know what it was. with When I try to compare jobs I've had and satisfaction, I really try to only compare the one I have now to the only other sort of comparable full-time benefits, salary man kind of thing, which is when I was a statistician in the Midwest in St. Louis. And I left that job to go back to graduate school. Yeah. And I think what... Is this the only other full-time? Yeah, yeah. I was doing a lot of stats work and I was doing a lot of like math. I was doing some SAS programming. I was running reports. Yeah. Running data reports. We mostly standardized test data, almost exclusively standardized test data yeah. for a large metropolitan school district, smaller now because you know people are leaving St. Louis left and right. Oh, in the center. Many children. Yeah. And I it got pretty rote. Every year it was the same report with different data. So we it would do the same thing we did last year, but we're using the new data set. Yep. And then you'd 
insert the table, mm-hmm. change language to fit, send it to the printer. Yeah. So it's, it's, it, was, it was a lovely, exciting, mathy, stats-heavy job. And I might be one of the few people that would say something like that. But it, fo- it found a way to not be intellectually stimulating. So it's like, I quit that job to go back to graduate school. Yeah. So it's like, I left to be a TA for a class 2,000 miles away from where I was. So it's not like I, I upgraded in terms of what the perk sheet was for the position with what we think about as being a, a job upgrade and then move up to middle management. Thank God. But it's like the missing thing was like there wasn't this intellectual stimulation where I could just do interesting things. There were a number of times when I was explicitly told, don't do that yeah, uh, because it shines a light in places that we don't want people to see. Yep. In a large school district that wasn't that had some problems that wasn't doing so hot. Yeah. So it's not let's get a clear picture and do something about it. It was like let's suppress that data. Yeah. Just do what you're told. And it was like you know what, deuces. Yeah. I'm out. And that's one of the things I don't think we always talk about is just because you're interested in the skill set in school doesn't mean that the related job is what you think it will be because the same I think has been true for Eric is like he was really good at math and science so they were like go into STEM. And so he did. And then he found most lab work to be incredibly rote and redundant. And so he hated it. He worked, he worked for the FBI. Ooh, exciting. Like his job was to take evidence, find hairs and fibers on it, mount it on a slide. And he wasn't even the one looking at it under the microscope. Yeah. Right. right, Like, right. Boring. Yeah, so my degrees in biology, obviously, as we all know, undergraduate degree, master's degrees in, in biology. So I'll work in the produce section yep. where the plants are. So it's good counterpoint to when I worked at the zoo where the animals are. <laughs> so I've worked with both animals and plants in my <laughs> my and Yeah, and, and that's extended my biology career in terms of the applied sides of it because now I just talk about it all the time, Yeah, which is fun. There's two things about that – it, it's funny when I put it that way. It's also true when it I is. put it that way. Like, <laughs> yeah. well, that's funny and disturbing at the same time. Yeah. You know, a, a doctorate and you teach biology. So what have you done in your life? So I was a produce clerk and I worked at the zoo when I was 16. And now I just talk about it. But but I get absolutely every single bit of the intellectual stimulation of this. Yeah. Because it's not just I talk about it to, to, to the crowds who are not listening. It's, I have a cap, literally a captive audience here. They pay to hear me talk about esoterica in the biological sort. Yeah. I can do that all damn day, and I'm happy to do it. And so it's uh, uh, I'm pretty pretty happy with how the whole thing is working out. Yeah, you that's know. mine. And I get to write reports. You get to write reports. Sometimes you fill out paperwork. Sometimes I fill out paperwork, wah, wah. but that is the that's the give as compared to the take. Yeah. yeah. One thing that I like about her audit, she's got like these four starting questions. Mm-hmm. And then, and then there's like this follow-up question that's, if you answered no to any of these questions, examine yourself further. And it's just funny to me because the four starting questions are, I think she, it reads like a trap to me. It does. Yeah. I was reading it. It's like, this looks like entrapment. So, so. the questions are, <laughs> do I enjoy all my work? I don't know. I really don't like the paperwork. Yeah, I don't like the paperwork. Do I enjoy all the people I work with? Oh, come on. We all have that one person. Come on, right. Right? There to teach us the most about ourselves. And if you don't, you're that person, person, right? Yeah. Do I enjoy the system I work within? Who enjoys a system? Yeah. I mean, you use the word system as a problem. Mm -hmm. And then the one that I think is maybe the easiest, um, though it depends on who you are, do I like myself in this role? I think that one's the easiest one for me yeah. to say yes yeah, to. Yeah, totally. But the other three, like I think the all, the system, there's a lot of space for people to see. Yeah, there there probably are some challenges within your workplace. Yeah. It doesn't mean the job is good or bad. There might be some places where work could be done. And I think you can figure out how the workplace is affecting you by getting closer in to understanding what's happening within you, what brings you a lack of satisfaction. None of this is really about the job, the people, the work, or even the system. It's about what within it is under your skin. Right. And that's going to be particular to each and every one of us based on our experiences and what we do and what we expect, Uh what we need when we wake up in the morning, how it all goes. Yeah. Needs change day to day. Yeah. And there's these larger themes that sort of resonate or don't. 
Yeah. And yeah. I think that plays out in a long way to how we show up and what we see. Yeah. And based on what we see, what's the language and the story that emerges th- through which we diagnose our own lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The lens. Yeah. The lens. So polishing the lens to see not just what's the, I'm flipping through the pages here, not just the, the bad stuff, the tough stuff. Yeah. Right. What's the good stuff too? And do they balance out a little? What's the math of when it's time to do something? And that's where the introduction in chapter one sort of went. It's like when you put all the stuff about your workplace on the scale, does it tip towards, I think I mean to do something about this or it's time to start looking? Yeah. Yeah. And the place where she really wraps this chapter up, I think can be incredibly informative in how people choose to make that decision because she talks Mm. about you can only do so much i think with the individual you have to know yourself know your lens know how your perception of everything is shaping out but then ultimately she, she gets to a point of reminding us that the culture of the place which is something we've been talking about a whole lot ultimately no matter who you are and how well you're well integrated you might be we are like she says workplace culture is like a sea with everyone swimming in it whether you work in an office or a factory or remotely you need to understand workplace culture and how it affects and influences everyone in it just the sea a strong current can affect everyone and i think that is just so important to understanding like what it looks like to thrive within a workplace is understanding is the culture one you can thrive in yeah 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 and cultures are hard to perfect Mm -hmm. i suspect in the future there's going to be other episodes about culture specifically we've been talking so much about yeah it's like uh, yeah yeah. we've talking a lot about culture the cake's not fully baked yet i think on that so we'll save that for another day but i'm not even sure the recipe is finished yeah, I don't think it is. Yeah. You know, but with a long story prematurely short, <laughs> like it or not, there's a culture at every workplace. Yeah. Even the ones that are 100% remote, no, there's still a culture. More about that later. More about that later. And can you work in it? Mm-hmm. And so it's if if you're really looking for 100% autonomy and where you were or like where your work is done, like remote versus in the office or whatever, if you need 100% autonomy in that, and they have a mandatory five days a week, nine to five, it might not work out. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it was like, what is the culture of, of a place, right? Is the culture focused on, like, what, I mean, what is the culture actually focused on? I'm going to jump in the gun. More later. More later. You just stopped yourself. You were like, ooh. Oof. You, I, yeah. I was, I was, see, that's how I know it's not ready yet. I'm still at the rant phase. And when I go into the rant phase, usually that's not because I have strong opinions on something. Usually it's because I'm still like working something out in my own head it's and you, the intellectual stimulation is exciting for me. So it's like, I'm going to rant to try to figure out what I think about this. It's like the intellectual kneading of dough. Yeah. Right? Like it's hard, fast, aggressive. It gets the job done. It's the job done. But it's not the thing you want to feed everyone necessarily. No, it's not. No, yeah, it's not. I feel that. Cool. We'll bake that further. Yep. Cool. Awesome. What was that? Chapter three. Next time, chapter four, the conflicts. How do you resolve conflicts? Mm-hmm. Which we've gotten really good at. I think we have. You know how? How? By being in conflict with each other. Yeah, conflict is good. Yeah. <laughs> conflict can be okay. I think we've gotten very efficient. I think we got, I don't disagree. I think conflict, it, it, the, the spoiler for this chapter, conflict is inevitable. It is. You know, it's like there's going to be conflict. Yeah. Period. You know, right. there, there just is. If there isn't conflict, I can guarantee you there's resentment. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So it's like if two people or multiple people are working together and there's even the slightest semblance of autonomy, there's going to be, (laughs) there's going to be conflict in recognizing that that will always be true hundred percent of the time. And just about any place you would ever find yourself in your life, maybe not the worst idea to get okay or comfortable with not not getting comfortable with the discomfort of conflict, but getting comfortable with the tools mm-hmm. used uh, to address conflict. Yes, Because I don't necessarily agree with this. Be be comfortable with discomfort. It's like discomfort can be uncomfortable. Yeah, that's and that why can it's be, and that's discomfort. why it's discomfort. So it's get comfortable with uncomfort. It's that feel sad. Feel 
biologically happy when you're sad. Yeah, feel happy when you're sad. Feel biologically satisfied when you're hungry. Feel awake when you're tired. It's like that. I I don't. But I hear that so often. Yeah. That get comfortable with or be be comfortable with discomfort. That's gonna be. I I don't be familiar with it. Okay, I'm familiar with it. I think it's. I think it's stay with discomfort. Don't run from it. Yeah. But yeah. it doesn't mean you have to cozy up with it. Right. Yeah. Ooh, Paul, this is uncomfortable. Let's or, stay here or, for or, years. Yeah, or look for it. Yeah. You know, or, or generate it or yeah. manufacture. And I think something else about the workplace, we all possibly have come across individuals who we feel like are just like manufacturing conflict for the sake of conflict. And why are there so few people who are you know? just manufacturing joy? <laughs> That's a question. Yeah. That's a question. Hmm. Cool. Cool. Thanks, Paul. Sure. Talk to you soon. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. See you on the flip. Bye. Bye.